Hi. Hi. Welcome to Becoming Mummies. I'm Jade Anuka. And I'm Grace Savage. And let's talk about Becoming Mummies. So, um, Grace, how are you feeling right now? Can I um, freestyle a theme tune for us? Just, All right. You can, you're editing this, so you can edit it out, but if it makes the cut... Let's hear it. It could like, be the difference between podcast of the year and, you know... <laughs> Um, you feel free to freestyle with me, you know. Hmm. We'll see. Okay. I'm thinking something along the lines of like becoming mummy, becoming, becoming mummy, mummy, becoming mummies, becoming, becoming mummies, mummies, becoming mummies, becoming, becoming mummies, mummies, becoming mummies, becoming, becoming mummies, mummies. There you go. Right. So, first question. Stop avoiding. Uh, how are you feeling right now, knowing that you are becoming a mummy? Oh God, that question. It's a funny one because we've been planning it and thinking about it for so long now, mm. pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember when we first had a conversation about it, 2018? I don't know. Maybe? Yeah. When we went for the first meeting. first meeting was in like Feb 2019. Okay. But we had been talking about it before for a while. Yeah. And... Even then, I wasn't sure if it was real or it was happening. It was more like, let's go to the meeting and see how we feel afterwards. And then yeah. it kind of just all started snowballing. And we were like, oh, no, no, we're actually doing it now. Yeah. Um, and I sort of feel, still feel like I'm in that state of like, oh, my God, something huge is going to happen. I don't know how to prepare. I'm reading lots of books. Um, I'm excited. But also, it's long. It's a long old process. It's a long process. And also because... I mean, pregnancy is is long, I can tell you that. Mm. Um, but the process before that and the process of getting pregnant for us was was fairly long and, you know, over lockdown and it was quite a weird experience. So it just feels like it's been quite drawn out and we're quite impulsive people. And so having something that has been thought of and planned um, so long in advance feels quite weird knowing that it's happening, but it's like it's so it's still so much more time and you feel like yeah. you've got the time now so it almost feels like you've got to be really prepared well as if you like us do things last minute or just go on impulse then you can kind of have the excuse of well of course I wasn't ready because I didn't really have any time to plan but yes. we've had years yeah anyway let's go back to the beginning uh-huh. so how what did we know of how to do it before we started looking into it do you know what I I knew barely anything it was like this wishy-washy faraway thing of like something to do with needles and science that gay people have to do but I'd never looked into it I was in my 20s like it's not something I I think the difference between me and you is that you've always known you wanted to carry Mm. and be a parent I've always been like I don't know I probably can't do it because I like women and I'm an artist and I haven't got that much money it's a thing Um, that's kind of assumed quite a lot I know it's something that when I first told my mother that I was with you the first thing she said is what about grandkids and it's like it's a it's it's sort of still weirdly in people's minds that oh it's it's not possible or Mm. it's and I think that was definitely in my head in some way yeah um but I was but I was just really determined like we have to find a way yeah and once you start looking into it you go oh there's this whole world out there um but actually we had to do some digging like it's not as easily accessible as you think yeah and also like i sort of knew of ivf because obviously we hear about that with straight couples you know people with fertility issues or single women who want to have 
who want to have kids or you hear about that just uh, not just in the kind of in the queer community but in terms of being a queer couple trying to have a baby like the option there actually are way more options and like i had never even heard of iui before no that was a completely new thing that we i think we must have found out the first time we had the doctors yeah meeting um, well i don't know if you knew any gay people any gay women i'd come across two examples i can think of in my 20s yeah gay parents sorry um so one was a writer on one of my first professional jobs at the south bank um she just mentioned that she had a wife and they were trying for a baby um and that was my first ever experience of meeting a real life gay mum and i was probably 21 at the time didn't ask any questions because it didn't feel appropriate but i remember thinking that's cool no idea how they're doing it but that's cool and then i worked with someone a few years later in life um and they had a few bit more intimate conversations with them about it and i knew that they were trying to do it at home i mean and and that's another thing isn't it about i didn't know any gay parents at all um and i remember i did a short film called baby gravy Mm. um i don't know when that was maybe 2016 um so we're talking really recently and when that came up i started looking into just researching it a bit more about it and that film is great and sort of highlighted this whole thing about the cost of it and the fact is because it's so because the cost is so great that many people don't have the unable to go through a clinic because it's just too expensive um there are very good ways of you know becoming pregnant and not going through a clinic but also there is a kind of what could be described as uh, I don't know kind of like a seedy way of doing it and I think there's as in I think there are men basically taking advantage of queer people and women who want to have who want to have children and can't afford to go through official clinic way and th- and then you've got all different issues as well about um you know who officially is the parent what what's on the certificate and it's a it's a minefield and it's huge and it's i mean we are really really fortunate in that we didn't have to go through that that way and go through go down that path and we were able to go through a clinic but i also remember that when we first looked into it and we first went for that meeting and found out how much it would cost mm. it was quite a shock mm. actually i mean i didn't realize it would be that much i'd never i'd never thought about the money side of it um and obviously when you hear about um, hetero couples they can get it on the NHS if they've been trying and obviously there's no way of proving how much they've been trying you, um, and they can get it on the NHS and it's and it's much much harder you have to have spent a lot of money as a gay couple is before it, is you, it can, you have uh, to have had six attempts at RUI which is the most sort of natural way without any drugs once you've had six attempts I think so but I also think it's slightly different in different areas in the UK um but yeah you have to have at least put in a good amount of money before you can even get it on the nhs which obviously just rules it out for a lot of people yeah um and yeah i remember we yeah we were like oh we're gonna have to make sure we put aside some money for this like this is a big like you think about saving for a child but you don't think about saving in order to make a child Mm. you know to um get there in the first place so that was our that was our first that was our first little hurdle but and i think we've kind of just um forgotten about how unjust that is actually because it wasn't until we told one of our friends when we went out for dinner 
lots of people have lots of different reactions, but this is the only friend of ours who actually got emotional and quite upset on our behalf. Um, and she had tears in her eyes and she was just saying, I can't believe that you have to, it's so, so unfair, unfair right. that you've had to pay that amount of money. It really makes the decision to try and become parents as um, a queer couple a, a really big one. Yeah, and um, it makes the stakes really high when you're trying to get pregnant because if it's unsuccessful, not only are you not getting pregnant, which is the ultimate thing you both want, but you're losing, you're hemorrhaging money, like yeah. a lot of money. Okay, and so let's say how, what was our journey like then to getting to being pregnant where we are now? Because it wasn't just a simple, it wasn't the simplest of journeys. Yeah, so, well, let's start with an initial conversation. Then mm-hmm. we went and had a meeting with the doctor who explained the process. Um, you've had to have a, like a fertility MOT test. So that in itself costs, I don't know, about 400 quid, doesn't it? I can't remember then that, yeah. they found something and you had to have another, what was it called, a hycosis? Yes, that's when they like basically flood your uterus and fallopian tubes with a dye just to make sure that they're clear which is great because then you know when they inseminate it they're not just you're not spending the money on sperm and then you know they're making sure everything's clear and ready to go which is an advantage a lot of people don't have i guess but that was a cost as well um then you go online and search for your donors donor search time yeah we are really impulsive people and i'm really glad we are because i've heard of people you know agonizing over decisions of what eye color and height and this and that me and you we were like are they healthy are they all right yeah let's go for them yeah i mean i do think we had a advantage in some way i'm black grace is ginger and um as i'm carrying and we're also using my egg uh, we wanted to get a donor that um, would have a similar look to grace Um, and so the child would look like it was ours i suppose so we basically looked we basically clicked ginger freckles and it narrowed it down quite a lot there was hardly any yeah and that made our decision really easy i think if we were looking for somebody with you know brown eyes and brown hair white then you would have loads of options but in terms yeah. of it, that narrowed it down and the Gin- doctor was very mm. sweet she said if we find any redheads um I, i'll ask if we can put them on hold for you yeah so that you you know because actually we had this thought initially that maybe we would look for uh, a donor who was mixed heritage of similar heritages to myself and grace but that proved nigh on impossible Mm. um and that's something that we have to think about if we do ever want to you know have another child and if grace does want to carry and we want to kind of do it the other way around finding a black donor is um is really really difficult there basically are none in this country it's really hard at any one time and of course when one when one comes on they get snapped up straight away. So that's something that we'd have to think about. But luckily, we didn't have to worry about that this time round. Um, but that was a thought that we had initially. I don't know if you remember that. And we was like, if we get someone of mixed heritage, similar to us, then we could use the same donor for both of us if we wanted to in the future. Yeah. But they just weren't coming up. We just couldn't find anyone anywhere. So we got our, So we have our sperm. But just on that yeah, point, oh, do you remember on. when you were in the waiting room? Because I couldn't come in because of COVID for a lot of times. She was sitting in the waiting room on your own quite a lot texting me. Um, and you were like, oh my God, I've just seen a really fit black guy. I think he was giving sperm. He, he has to be the one. I was like, oh my God, this is getting a bit stalkery. I know. <laughs> Following I know. him down I the street. I didn't follow him. <laughs> I didn't follow him. I just thought about it. And then I, we like kept looking online. But 
no one came up so there you go yeah but you know got a couple of years until it's my turn so (laughs) maybe things will have changed and so basically what we did first of all is we did IUI and we tried IUI we were quite well I know myself I was quite hopeful by the doctors had basically said that um everything was healthy everything looked fine we we knew we had good um sperm because um from the sperm bank um and they had been checked and all of that all of that so I was quite hopeful the first time around I was thinking we're going to get pregnant it's going to be amazing it's Mm. all going to happen exactly as we wanted and there are some sites um not the the clinic that we went with but you can pay more money to see a photograph or to hear their a voice recording of their voice and you just think this is getting a bit dark actually they're getting more money out of people so they can have more access to their donor and i'm really glad we didn't have any of that yeah but also i didn't want that so i think some people want i think people want different things don't they in the same way that some people want to have a friend donate like they want to know more about the about the donor like they want to know more about that biological what that's connected to yeah but, but don't um, charge people more money for it that just feels a bit gross fair enough but this is it it's a it's a business and that's the kind of hard side of it is knowing mm. that like every time you go into the clinic or i would go into the clinic because like you say it was during lockdown and every time i'd go in i'd be like oh the nurses are um they're so friendly they were so friendly and so kind and then they'd always be like and make sure you pay on your way out and then it'd be like this huge bill and like oh yeah of course yeah like anyway we've digressed yes where were we the process of selecting sperm so we've got our sperm and then we basically go for our first iui insemination thinking positive it's negative we basically do that quite a few times and it's it's quite a it takes quite a toll. I don't know about you, but it took quite a toll on my mental health. Mm. I found it quite difficult because, particularly because there was nothing, I kept being told there was nothing wrong. So mm. I was like, well, what, is it something I'm doing? Because mm. apparently the sperm's good. Apparently my womb's good. Apparently everything's working. So what is it? And it was like, you start to obsess about in those like two, that two week wait. So that's the time bef- between the insemination and the earliest you can do a pregnancy test. That two week wait is just agony. Um, And it gets harder and harder each time and you start to think, what can I do or not do? (laughs) Like, can I go for, should I go for a run? No, probably not. Can I walk? Okay, but not too fast. I can't just stay still though, because you start to really overthink everything. And I found that really, really difficult. I think the hardest thing in that process was all this, these online forums that say like, stress is the worst thing. You'll never get pregnant if you're stressed. Mm. You must focus on not being stressed. So we were stressing about not being stressed. Um, And that is, as much as you tell yourself not to be stressed, like as soon as you put that on a situation, it immediately becomes stressful. Yeah. And it's a really interesting one as well because obviously different people have like do they some people tell people that they're trying but we kept it very much to ourselves. i mean it was in that weird time in lockdown where we just sort of weren't seeing anyone else anyway but um you it feels quite weird especially because we didn't know anyone else that had gone through anything similar it was like it's quite a weird thing to kind of not really know and that was when we found didn't we find rose and rosie were doing their we were searching for some like support some people that we could some stories that we could listen to anything that was similar to our story exactly and this was basically one of the only podcasts around and especially something that was british as well 
because things are slightly different in different countries. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are more, um, but this was like the 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 one that we found, and it's a podcast by YouTubers Rose and Rosie, um, and their journey was sort of happening parallel to ours. They really were a similar. few steps ahead of us, so every week. Uh, every Monday we'd sit and we'd listen to this podcast yeah. and we'd compare their journey to ours, we'd discuss our feelings and it was just an amazing thing to and it's, have. It, it really was and like they are very different people to us and their lives are very different to ours but there was something that really connected us to them and it was really nice to hear that there were another you know, young couple, whatever. I keep saying this word, young. I mean, they are young. A young, cool couple. Actually, I feel like we're similar age. Who knows? Anyway, I feel like, you know, same-sex couple in the UK who were going through this and we could hear their story and they were, and some of the things they were saying just really resonated with some of the stuff we were going through. So that was really, that was a really helpful thing and we've carried on listening to them. So thanks, Rose and Rosie. Yes. Um, Okay, basically, cut a long story short, the IUI didn't work and we had to take the step to do IVF, which was a big jump and something I hadn't actually considered before because I didn't think we'd ever get to that point. No. Um, and this time it's it's just after Christmas, so it's New Year. Start the hormone injections, I think, just before New Year's, I think. It was like the 28th was my first injection or something. Yeah, because I remember at Christmas we were like, right, you need a mental health break. You've yeah. been so good, like, not drinking coffee, not drinking anything, just being the best mum that you could be preparing. And I was like, right, we're having cocktails for a few days. On Christmas Day, <laughs> You need yeah. to relax. I mean, I had about three and then fell asleep because oh, I hadn't the... drunk for nearly a year. Then the oven blew up, so... <laughs> 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 didn't oh, last long yeah, it's true. Um, yeah so you started end of Christmas so started and then um, yeah that was I was actually we went back into lockdown hadn't we gone back into lockdown mm. um, and I was actually really glad for it I was gl- really glad I wasn't working actually because our lives as self-employed artists we don't have any kind of um, schedule kind of time scale you know timeline structure structure <laughs> We got there. Any structure, um, <laughs> but you need a lot of structure with all the needles and the pessaries and the patches, and we had a a chalkboard with all the times. We had alarms on our phone that said, you know, pum pum. That's when you got to stick something up your pum pum injection, stick something in your belly, something in your belly, whatever. Mm. And I was so glad that it was just me and you, and we could just have our little bubble a little nest and um and and work it out but it's like was it like five like medication or injection slots a day it's one at 7 a.m one at 1 p.m one at 3 p.m one at 7 p.m and then one just before you go 11. to bed at 11 p.m yeah there were some days when it was five different things you in a day. have to be so on it and if you're trying to imagine you were at we weren't in lockdown this is what a lot of people have to do just go at work go to the toilets or... i literally like Maybe if I had a structured day where I started work at a time, I had lunch at a time, maybe I could fit it around. I mean, it'd be difficult. And mm. also you feel horrendous as well. Um, but with our work, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to be on set and stop that much. You just can't stop at certain times. And you've got to be within half an hour. You tend to be have to be within half an hour of the time that you did it the day before. So, IVF. And then... IVF, I'm sure most of the listeners will know a bit more about IVF probably. Um, Basically, 
you get you take injections to make all your eggs grow loads and then you have to go into surgery and um, and you go under and I'd never been under before and again Grace couldn't come in so Grace was just like sitting in car parks really I went under and then you come out and you have that kind of dreaded moment where the doctor says how many eggs they've collected mm-hmm. and I was really lucky and also they were really confident and the doctor was really confident that it would be good and they got about 21 eggs I think which is a really high number so then you have to wait five days while they fertilize um, the egg with the sperm and we wait for the embryo to become to a mature embryo stage and then they can put the transfer and put the embryo back inside but because i had had so many eggs it meant my ovaries were quite swollen so we couldn't do that straight away um and i, I can't remember it now there's a kind of hyper ovarian syndrome not syndrome something like that i think that's it ohs over ovarian hyper syndrome or something oh, it's hypersensitive so anyway so we had to wait a bit but yes and then you have to then you get a call so you after they take the eggs you get a call five days later and they tell you how many eggs have survived that kind of process have fertilized and have survived up to five days and are and are in a good enough state that they think They've become blastocysts. They've become blastocysts. Which so. is a great, like, next time I stub my toe, that's what I'm going to do. Blastocyst. It's a great word. Yeah. So then they had to freeze them because I, they weren't ready for a fresh transfer because my ovaries were too big. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. We got one and they defrosted it. And then you go in for your um, intermination, I guess. And actually, weirdly, that was one of the most uncomfortable moments of oh. all of it. Pain-wise. Uh, well, just pain. It's, it's, yeah, it is uncomfort, but basically, you have to be really. Your bladder has to be so full because when your bladder's full, it like puts your uterus in a place that is kind of you can see it. There's a nurse pressing on your full bladder with the scan thing, ultrasound thing. There's a doctor sat between your knees, um, ready to like put something in, and then there's the. Oh no, I've forgotten the word. The pre. <laughs> The embryologist. Then oh. there's the embryologist next door in the lab who have to make sure they get it, the embryo, and it's secure, and then that gets put inside. But you're literally... Oh, and you've got a clamp in your vagina, like if, when you do a smear test. So it's clamped open. So vagina is clamped open. You've been pressed. You've got a full bladder. And I just kept thinking, I am going to projectile piss in that doctor's face. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I was thinking about and then every five minutes they come and say what's your name and what's your date of birth and they keep checking that it's the right and we're not putting the wrong ones in you but then you see the little this little white circle thing go inside your uterus on the scan and it's kind of amazing you kind of like and there it is you literally watched it happen watched it happen watched it, watched that moment wow um and then you leave and then you have two weeks again another two week wait and then you can do a pregnancy test so from the time that you, we started IUI to the time, the date that we found out you were pregnant, how yeah. long was that? Six months? I think it was, well, we started, it was June. So that's six. And then we found out I was pregnant in March. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. A lot of months. I'm trying <laughs> to do the maths. Oh, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Yeah. Nine no. months. So it's an wow. process. But then we found out we were pregnant and we shook didn't we we're, yeah. oh I, I think i physically shook didn't i you were like you're shaking shaking crying couldn't well you were basically told if you do ivf 
um, you will get pregnant. I'm not sure if they're allowed to say that to people, but that's what all the nurses were saying to you. Yeah. They're like, there's nothing that we can see is wrong. You're perfectly healthy and young. If you do IVF, you will get pregnant. It costs the same amount as it did to do six IUIs, if not more. Mm. It's really expensive. And, it doesn't and take... it's very taxing on your mental health and your physical yeah. body. It was a big decision to do it. But so glad we did because we are now 31 weeks pregnant. Oh. <laughs> oh, and I also wanted to mention, actually, just as you were talking about all that, just in case there's anyone else who wants to know more or learn more about IVF, not in a clinical, academic way, uh, Lena Waithe's show, Master of None. Yeah, she's got this, I think it's a third series, which is called Moments in Love. They do which... an episode, one full episode. Or is it a series? Or is it just one episode? It's a series, but there's one episode, which is kind of standalone, where one of the characters goes through the process of IVF, and they are... Um, Two women in the same, you know, same-sex couple. Well, actually, she's doing it on her own. She is a gay woman, but she does it on her own. Yeah, just as a quick side note, you sent it to a few of our friends and your family. Who just had you? no idea. Just to go, if you want to get a really good, concrete understanding of what I had to go through, watch this episode. Because there's um, so few, there's so few things, like the plays, theatre, they're the same thing. There's so few, <laughs> there's so few plays or TV shows or films that really touch on that, especially from a queer perspective. So um, that was um, really interesting, and also from, you know, as a black woman as well, it was really interesting to see that. Um, yeah. So then we're pregnant. We're pregnant. Do the pregnant dance. Do the pregnant dance. Do the pregnant dance, do the pregnant dance. She's feeling while I work out what... <laughs> Jay's looking at her notes and I'm doing a pregnant dance. Okay, so... Ah, i tell you what happened. <coughs> Straight after I found out we're pregnant, I ordered this book for you by Jen Brister. Yes! Um, it was a book by Jen Brister, who is a comedian and mother of twins. It's called The Other Mother. Um... And it's great. Yeah, and it, it just shows first... it from the other mother's perspective. Yeah, uh, it was the first book I read. Although she did have twins and it did sound like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> she's, very, <laughs> she's very funny with it. But it did kind of put me into a bit of a state of anxiety like quite early on. And I started freaking out about never getting any sleep. This is like seven months ago. We were so far away from you actually giving birth. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. How am I going to sleep? I know, you kept still quite obsessive about the sleep thing. But think how little sleep... Jen Brister had. You'll have double that. I know. Twins. Sounds like hard work. But yeah, that was a great book to read. Again, from the other mother's perspective, um, just in terms of the way people might look at you, the questions you might get asked, and I'm sure I've got all that to come. We went to our first antenatal class last week, and I was feeling really nervous about it. I think just naturally, because it's a bit of a nerve-wracking thing, but I was like, actually, if I dig a bit deeper and think about this, it's because we're going in as a queer couple and we're very much going to be viewed as a queer couple whereas I go through most of my life just hanging out with my mates them just seeing me as Grace I don't feel viewed as a gay person yeah like everyone else in that group is just a couple but we're the gay couple yeah and because we did a lot about this process in lockdown we've kind of kept ourselves to ourselves Mm -hmm. quite a lot and I was thinking I'm just going to go into that space being viewed as as yeah the gay couple and I thought I was, I felt quite nervous about that. And is there any other, I mean, I was thinking about other moments where actually being two women has felt like we've noticed it. And one of them for me was when we went into one of our scans 
Um, and I've realised in retrospect, talking to other friends of mine who have kids, that sonographers need to work <coughs> on their people skills. Yeah. Um, and basically, we had a bit, of, we didn't have a great time, basically. And it was a weird feeling of being two re- quite young looking women anyway, that we kind of often dismissed or overlooked and people don't really I think people don't give us the kind of time of day that they would say um if one of us was uh an older white man do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I just feel like there's a kind and we have to in retrospect we have to work harder at making sure people are listening to us answering our questions our concerns and not just kind of dismissing us I guess and that was quite a thing for me and it's something that I'm I'm very aware of for for the birth yeah and since we've been doing a lot of research into hypnobirthing and um if that's a route that we want to go down we're learning that being vocal is going to be a is a huge thing anyway for first-time mums but I think even more so like you say the fact that we're women and young looking people might not take us as seriously and we both came away from that scan going Oh, I wish I'd asked this question and they've given us this form with these notes on but I don't know what it means and and we just both felt a bit stupid yeah and I just was like well yeah totally and actually we were sort of made to feel that way which isn't which isn't fair but also when it gets to the birth we've only got one chance like we're going to be there and we have to just make sure that the birth doesn't just like happen to us that actually we are like I am giving birth not a birth is happening and everyone's doing their thing and we don't actually, neither of us know what's going on. Yeah. Like we have to make sure that we're aware and I think that will really help. But that's something that we're going to have to, yeah, really work on is being able to, in those situations where I feel like a bit of a kid when I go into like a hospital particularly Mm. because luckily I'm not used to going into hospitals and you go in and they've got their fancy clothes on and their uniform and they know know all the words and you just think oh and I just feel a bit like small and silly and I don't want to ask a silly question but we need to just go do you know what chuck all that away this is our time um, yeah it's about us but I think even being in the antenatal class um I feel like me and you were quite vocal and we asked quite a lot of questions as well and I thought that's a good sign that we're willing to ask questions here and I had many a silly question that I asked. Yeah, um, I feel like that feels like we're with peers. That felt like a very different situation to being in a hospital with yeah. a doctor and a nurse and, a, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I want to just finish on talking about bringing up a child. Um, just a small thing. <laughs> a small thing about bringing up a child. And if we've got any feelings about bringing up a child who's obviously going to have two mothers, who's not going to have a father, who's going to be mixed race, and if we, if you have particularly any thoughts and feelings about that now, ah, it's a big, it's a big question. Um, I mean, they're two completely separate things, being mixed race and having two mums, but both are going to make them. It's separate when it's different. Not, yeah, but it's also not separate if you're the person who has both. Yeah, when I was talking to my friend um, Andy, testament about this. Um, he's mixed race, um, and he was saying that his parents made him feel like it was a superpower growing up. So he was like, I've never had an issue with it. I genuinely believed that I had a superpower. And if anyone had an issue with it, he was like, you're an idiot. You know, I'm the one with the magic skills. And his parents actually called him Harmony uh, and really really instilled that kind of positive language uh, around him. Um, And I think that's probably the case um, with 
bringing up a child, you know, with two mums, is that they're going to be like, it's amazing. And by the time they get to school, they're gonna, it's going to be such a thing that emboldens them and, it, you know, something that's so great and special. And obviously, it's still going to be quite rare, probably. I um, It is still quite rare, I think. And so who knows if there'll be any other children in their class who have gay parents or who have, you know, queer parents or whatever. Um, but as long as they feel loved and wanted in that it's i think that's great it's their superpower and books are great for that aren't they yeah we've already got a few different books that um you know about two mummies mummy mama and me and there's a few of them that are going around which i think is really great that there's yeah. more of that happening i think and, re- yeah representation is you cannot underestimate the power of that of them seeing themselves in in a book or in a, a book. tv show totally totally but yeah it's something that we are definitely aware of and that it's not going to be... They don't have our, the life that we had. We grew up both with heterosexual parents. Mm. We both grew up with parents that were of the same race. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kid has a lot of new different things um, that we haven't experienced. So we're going to be on a learning journey as well. Yeah, but we're in London, which is hopefully one of the more liberal spaces to bring up a child in the country. Um, yeah. It's going to be great. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our short little audio piece about becoming mummies. I've been Jade Anuka. And I've been Grace Savage. Have a great day. Bye. Becoming mummies, becoming, becoming mummies, mummies. Becoming mummies, becoming, becoming mummies, mummies.